love these lazy Saturdays. It's Wednesday, Homer. Ah, work! <sighs> I love these real Saturdays. They're so relaxing. I like that fake Saturday that almost got me fired. And let's go. And coming at you from the basement of the basement of WCBTA 20 in Chicago, this is the Sports Cubicle. Where the inmates are on the asylum. Boss yells at us on Monday morning because we're working overtime, and he yells at us for a lot of other things, too. We're just kind of used to it at this point. And Paulacious won. I was hoping for a glorious, easy Sunday, but uh, did you hear? Uh, the Bears lost to the bye week 37 to I was, 27. I was waiting for that. I, I was like, oh, no, the bad news is coming. The Bears did lose the bye week. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, but, but this year, don't you feel a little bit better about them losing the bye week than you did other years? Let's get help them get closer to that second uh, number two overall draft pick. Here we go. I I sure like hell hope so here. But you know, we got some, you know, good news. Chicago Bulls are keeping us happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, something's got to in this town. I know it's very hard here. And I mean, it's kind of nice with a it it's very bittersweet here in the baseball world, is we got one team kind of making moves, another team not doing anything really. Yeah, apparently five hundred was good enough. Oh, let's hope so. Uh, I need a drink. Mercado, take it away. It has been one of the most complicated sports stories I think we've ever covered here on the Sports Cubicle, and one of the most complicated sports stories that I think any of us have been following. If you are a sports fan, if you are somebody who just watches the news and keeps up to date with everything that's happening in our planet, and we are here to talk about Brittany Griner coming home, being released from a Russian prison, and what comes from that, the fallout. We're here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm Mike Mercado with the one and only Paul Shavari, Devin Single, and Dan Marver throughout the entire show. And before we get to Paul, before we get to this conversation, I kind of want to just break down a little bit how we got here to this point. On February 17th of this year, Brittany Griner was detained in an airport in Moscow when Russian Federal Customs Service discovered vape cartridges containing marijuana concentrate hashish in her luggage. She was arrested, tried, and just some of the things that we saw throughout this process. Just a few uh, weeks ago, on November 9th, Griner gets transferred to a Russian penal colony, and her whereabouts were unknown. Then on November 17th, there finally some, some confirmation from her lawyers of where she was at. Then December 1st, all the way from February 17th to December 1st, we finally hear news that the United States and Russia agreed to a one-for-one prisoner exchange. And then December 8th, Griner was released in exchange for Victor Bout. The deal did not include Paul Whelan, who, according to CNN, the Biden administration repeatedly made offers to get Whelan as part of this deal, even after Russia made clear only Griner was acceptable. Biden said his administration, quote, will never give up on his release. And just on Friday, Griner landed at Kelly Field in San Antonio, Texas. She's going to have to go through an entire process, obviously, with her coming back home. But Paulie, a story that started with a very prominent LGBTQ member who... Prominent athlete. Athletes. More more iconic than I think people realized before this year. A black woman Mm -hmm. on top of it all and this started because of marijuana. One of the greatest basketball players. Yeah, Yeah. This is so... This is so fascinating on so many levels because I think, okay, let's start off with the base of I'm glad she's home. 
Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. I think on that's, a that's base what level, we've been calling for every week. We've been calling for this. How many times have you and I enjoy Christmas with her wife, wife. and her her mm-hmm. child? Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, it, I'm thankful that that because I think. In, in the initial, I think we thought, oh, this this should just be a formality. She should be home soon. Probably a heavy fine. Don't do it again in normal times. But I, I, you know, put my trust in Vladimir Putin, and that was that was you know shame on me because I didn't think he'd get that petty. And and this was clearly a political tool by Russia to do this. And and I think at the time we thought, you know, okay, this might take a little bit, but but she'll be home soon. And honestly, I think um, it took longer than it needed to, but I'm honestly shocked that she's back now because I thought this would have taken a little bit longer ever since it was announced that she was going to work nine years in the the work uh, colony. And, and I think I don't I didn't expect her to go the full nine years, but I thought for sure this would get carried out longer and longer. Um, so that that Russia could could get whatever leverage they want in in a negotiation. Clearly, Russia benefited by releasing an arms dealer, whereas we got someone on on a petty crime. But of course, this is a higher profile person. So at the same time, the, the value of this favors the United States. And I hate to put that on on two human beings like that, but um, a, a woman who didn't really do anything wrong is free. Um, and and uh, um, uh, meanwhile, a horrible you know arms dealer uh, goes back to Russia. And um, it had to be done. And, and I think um, I, I think at this point, though, it should be clear as day, though, that you're, if you're an American citizen, like you're done doing business in your lifetime with Russia. Yeah. Like nothing should attract you with Russian Russian money and Russian, uh, you know, um, opportunity. But how many Russian and Putin sympathizers have we seen since 2014, 2015 really come up from the woodwork? And I also think it's really important to put you know talk about the elephant in the room that how much did the Ukraine Russia situation and the war and the conflict impact it because all of a sudden of now you have this this bargaining chip that's a human being and you mentioned all the atrocities that this war criminal has that for one for one if you know we're doing a sports show you're like oh this is a horrible trade but you didn't have any leverage you didn't have anything you can do and I think what's also important to to bring out is the U.S. soldier who's currently being held captive that everybody's talking about, Waylon, I believe. Paul Waylon is how you pronounce it. I might yeah, be saying it wrong. Yeah, but I don't know the full story yeah, on him. But even if that's the whatever the full case may be, a soldier, whether it was espionage like the, the Russians I, are yeah, saying. Yeah, and I've heard all sorts of different, different things about it, and it's a way different ball game than Brittany Griner. But it's important to mention that his brothers— said they were happy that Brittany Griner's home because an American came back home. Mm -hmm. It's important now, if you are one of these people who aren't doing this in good faith, but you like to pretend you are saying, well, what about our U.S. soldier? Then stay on this story because you weren't talking about it four years ago. Yep, You were talking about it 40 minutes ago after she landed. Convenient once... Brittany and and no one's ever going to be pleased. You know, there, yeah. there's there's going to be always. Uh, for, I mean, look at um, how many of the laugh emojis about her during yeah. this whole process mm-hmm. turned into mad emojis. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I totally expected that when I saw that on social media. Just every time there'd be a story about Brittany Griner before the release, it'd be a laugh emoji, and it would be like, oh well, she deserves to be there. She knew what she did wrong, and it's like, so you're telling me you're totally okay with um, sentences that are way harsher. Um, and inconsistent with what they pre- previously done, yeah, you know, because because clearly they they uh, maximized for the smallest, you know. So, so I I don't want to hear of like um oh she she um she should do the time 
She did the time. I, I think she did more time than most people would do in Russia or anywhere else in the world for a vape cartridge, save for some of those weird countries where they'll basically kill you for yeah. that. But Russia's, Russia is supposedly, Russia purports itself to be a civilized country. I mean, think about this. On August 4th, she was sentenced to nine years in prison and fined one million Russian rubles, like mm-hmm. just over $16,000 mm-hmm. for a yeah. vape pen. Yeah. Like, I, I think that. And we said it from the first time we made the, our recording back all the way in February to where we're at now. Gosh, it's been that long? It, that's the point. Over 200 days mm-hmm. for this. And it's like, you can't tell me that it's not because of who she was, where she's from. And I do think what's scary as well, that you, you mentioned not doing any deals with Russia. What if she wasn't a star WNBA player? Like, yeah, she might have not been sentenced as harsh as she was, but we don't know. And I think this is a cautionous tale to people from the United States right now who, I'm just going to use a term that the youth say, think it stuff is too sweet right now. Yeah. That because we are in this country and we're fighting about this and fighting about that, we forget that there's an entire world out there that doesn't play by our rules. Yeah. And when you're sympathizing with Russia throughout the years of the Trumpisms, and then you're wondering, oh, wow, this is happening. How? Why is she even in Russia? Why is she doing this? Because all the times you cared about the WNBA, I know all you that are, are against and care about the W, they don't pay enough for her, their players to mm-hmm. just make a living off this. So learn. I think the most important thing we learned from this is to know all the information before you make any type of of irrational opinion or statement like My- Micah Parsons did on Twitter. Yeah, and this is something at the beginning that I didn't really understand that that she could make more money playing in Russia yeah. during the off season than. And I suppose that's maybe just the European club basketball model out there. But I, I think that's that needs to be examined further. Is is how is it that the WNBA, which is so commercialized, just can't bring in the revenue for their athletes? Like another country can take a, take the WNBA out of it. What about everything that's happening with Saudi Arabia yeah. and the sports washing oh gosh, in this country? Yeah, with the the golf, uh, the live golf, and then uh, now yeah. uh, how much money they're throwing at Ronaldo to play? She play in, in yeah in UEFA, and, and now they're making a bid for the twenty. Well, not official. They're they're trying to make a bid for the twenty thirty World Cup, and we're already seeing what's happening in Qatar. Qatar officials have already been, uh, and I'll talk about it in the World Cup mm. segment. But how um, Budweiser's looking for? Okay, well, you know, you you pulled out of the deal. Now you owe us, and the Qatari World Cup planners and officials are just trying to sweep it under the rug. They haven't responded to any formal letters calling for compensation or, or at least action on this. And it's like that's that's bad business. And and FIFA FIFA should have known what they were doing with doing all this. And I think just sometimes just international business when it comes to sports, and like you're saying, the sports washing and looking at all this, it's just it's bad business. And and the United States has already gotten so corrupt and greedy. I mean, just look at college. Look at the way college. Has yeah. gotten. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, you know, it, it, it raises giant concerns about the business model of sports and why is it that. And, and I'm saying, if, if y'all missed Brittany Griner at Baylor, oh my goodness, was she amazing. Yeah. Like, like 2011, 2012, somewhere other. Uh, like, I remember a unicorn. that's when she was on my, the, my mm-hmm. radar, and I don't really watch women's basketball that much. Mm-hmm. But, but when a story like that comes around and how dominant she was at Baylor and how getting into the WNBA, and she's been a great player in the WNBA and the Olympics. You know, so so she's she's an iconic athlete, whether people want to believe that or not. You know, and of course, one of the things said throughout this whole thing was if this was LeBron James or if this was this was a male superstar, you would have seen a little bit of a different reaction. And I think so. But I definitely think race did have something to do with this. I think I think if this was a white woman. Um, you know, and I'm trying to think of like maybe like a white 
white female athlete right now. Like, okay, if, if this happened to Megan Rapinoe, I think you would have seen the same sort of reactions because yes. of, um, you know, how she would kneel for the anthem. Again, or, you know, outspoken, yeah. outspoken um, opinions about the United States that don't jive with people that are just in lockstep and in love with the Stars and Stripes. And, and, and that was also a weird thing throughout this to me, too. Of, oh, she deserves to be there. Because she doesn't like America, so she shouldn't ask for America's help to get out. And it's that's a total. Even though this this doesn't fall under the First Amendment because this is Russian law, not yeah. American law. Yeah. But it just shows that oh well, if this did happen in America, you you obviously would swing and miss yeah. on your understanding of the First Amendment. And even if you love America, if you hate Americans, you truly hate America. It's it's so upsetting that people are using this as their own soapbox and using this for their own political motivation. But I think we should get we should be used to that at this point. But I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is an American is back home mm-hmm. from Russia, mm-hmm. and now the public knows about another American who's being held captive and mm-hmm. needs to be brought home. Mm-hmm. But that's not Brittany Griner's fault. If you're so patriotic, use your voice to demand and force your government to make sure another American gets home. It's not up to Brittany Griner and their family to negotiate for them to get here. You've had four years. Donald Trump was president when this guy was captured. So now you've gone through two presidential campaigns and teams. So I don't want to hear this that now you're upset about it. So, Paulie, any final thoughts? As we have a busy show today. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking to see someone's going to land that first inter- interview with Brittany Griner and, and um, I'm going to go over under CNN with the favorite odds that are going to be the favorite ones. But it's going to be an right, interesting so you're story. CNN, I'm going to say like 60 Minutes or so, okay. like uh, ABC 2020 or something like that. You know, like Good Morning America. You know, I, I think it'll be Network. Yeah. So dumb that respect. I, hey, we're, we're nerds. But I think everyone wants to hear what she has it's to say. Yep. I would not. I, I think she pretty much owned up to it that it was her vape cartridge. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if she was like, no, that was not mine. There's that was always not that chance. That yeah. was planted on. Yeah, you know, like, or always they, that. They pulled it out of my garbage can and they put it in the. You know, I would not be shocked, but I think she owned up to it, and I think she did her time, and I can't wait to hear what she has to say, and and I hope that she is thankful that her country did step up for her. Yeah, and I think I hope every American learns, and I think it's something that people who come from ethnic backgrounds or immigrants understand that when you're traveling, nobody cares that you're an American. Yep. You're not in America. Yep. Learn the rules, yep. and you won't have to go to this situation because God bless it, thank God, Brittany Griner was brought back home, yeah. but you ain't Brittany Griner. No. And, and I mean, Brittany Griner knows, too. She probably sticks out like a sore thumb. You know, a very, a very uh, tall yeah. African-American woman in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's a target. So that's, let us know your thoughts. It's a complicated story, but she's home. So she's home. let's make God. sure that Paul Whalen and any other American who is— Serving time unjustly in a foreign country gets back home. We want to know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Brittany Griner, back home. Ah, perhaps this will please the gentleman. Take this object, but beware, it carries a terrible curse. Ooh, that's bad. But it comes with a free frogut. That's good. The frogut is also cursed. That's bad. But you get your choice of topping. That's good. 
The toppings contain potassium benzoate. That's bad. Why don't we take a chance to go to the United Center and talk about the 11 and 14 Chicago Bulls here on the Sports Cubicle with the marvelous one, Dan Marver, Devin Tingle, Paul Shibari throughout the entire show. I'm Mike Mercado, and it has been a rough one, a frustrating one, and at times a fun one for Bulls fans as it seems like this team is competing with some of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, beating some of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, and then days later, we'll lose to the bottom dwellers of the NBA, and there's so many things that have fascinated me, and Bulls fans, I think, on this team. First of all, we last time we were all here talking about the Bulls, the news hadn't came out yet that Billy Donovan had signed an extension. He's going to be here for a little while now with Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley. And a lot of this turmoil has started being reported about Zach Levine being benched, about there being some rift between some of the star players and the coach. But I think what's really interesting to me is the way not just Bulls fans, and I get where Bulls fans are coming from, the frustration and being the day-to-day lives of a Bulls fan watching this team every day, but the national pundits, the national thought being that this Bulls team should blow up this, this roster, this whatever core this is to get rid of it. And I'm not there yet. I understand wanting Wambanyaba. I get it. He's a unicorn, right? Like you want to get there, but only having a 14% chance now of getting the number one pick, is it worth it? I mean, look, it. We, we understand here on the sports cubicle, we've been talking about it forever. There's tiers, there's levels to this. All these teams are unicorns. All these teams have superstars. All these teams have stars, scorers, or whatnot. But when you see the discrepancy between, let's say, like the Celtics, the Bucks, even the Cavs, obviously the Nets, compared to where the Bulls are, you can see that they're not going to compete for an NBA title. But you want them to compete for playoff positioning, to win a round or two, to make a run and upset a team here or there. And I think they have the talent for that to be a thing. Look at, they didn't address a lot of needs and they aren't doing what we said they needed to do to be a better team. They aren't shooting enough threes. They aren't making enough threes. They need to get to the free throw line more. They have to play better defense. They have to play nearly a perfect game, an A ranking for them to compete and win not just a game, but to win a series if you get to that point. We haven't seen enough of that. We haven't seen all the development that we wanted to from a Patrick Williams and an Ayo DeSumo, but it's not fair, be- especially for Ayo, because Ayo is playing in a spot he's not supposed to be playing right now. This is all happening with the shadow of Lonzo not being here. There are so many factors and gears to this machine that aren't either in place or just aren't finely tuned. We are just now seeing some lift on Zach Levine's knee. Remember a a procedure that he had during the summer when we never heard about it until the opening day, until the the week heading into it. This team has been behind the eight ball all season and all off season. So it, it really, it's both fascinating and frustrating. And all, and I almost want to give credit to this team too, for them being where they're at with having so many downfalls, so many pits on their roster and handcuffs at that matter. 
And it's important, this next stretch of games for the Chicago Bulls, these next home games. Like, let's look at the schedule, right? Like, it was one thing when you're losing or competing against, you know, the last time we were all talking uh, uh, on Monday. Bulls lose to the Jazz, seven-point game in Utah. They get stomped by the Suns. But a close game against the Warriors in San Francisco. A uh, bad game against the Kings, but they found a way to win. The most unappealing win ever against Washington, but you found a way to win. And then you beat down the Dallas Mavericks at the United Center Saturday nights without Luka Doncic. But you found a way to win. 144 to 115. Nice night. People got to eat and rest up. But look at your, your schedule coming up, heading into Christmas weekend. You have the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta today. As of this recording, they haven't played yet. When you hear this on the sports cubicle, you will know the results. But a win you need. A team that's struggling with an injured Murray. Turmoil. You talk about turmoil. Turmoil with Trey and their coach. Then you have the Knicks and the Knicks on a Wednesday and Friday, both games at the United Center. Then you go to Minnesota. Then you go to Miami. You go to Atlanta. And before Christmas, you're in New York. You need to win these games. You might get a little grace in the Tuesday night, December 20th game against Miami. But you've beaten Miami. And if you want to jump in the standings, Miami's ahead of you. I can't believe we're already looking at the standings before Christmas, but we're getting to Christmas. The NBA season is officially starting when you get to that point. When we're celebrating all the awesome holidays from Kwanzaa and Hanukkah to Christmas Day. To Festivus, if you will. But we are at the point now where the Bulls need to win games. Because come February, when you are then able and allowed to talk about trading a Zach Levine, you have until then to put yourself in a position to be a playoff team. And not just a playoff team, avoid the play-in. But if you start losing these games and you're struggling heading into the new year, all the talk about DeMar, about Vucevic, and about Zach being traded – will amplify. Oh, those fires will be a simmering because you have a, a, a guy in Zach Levine that could go to LA or DeMar. DeMar has to be okay with becoming a number two or three option if he wants to go win a title. And Vooch, the sexiness of not only he's a good player, a big man can, can play offense, but that contract's expiring. So many ways this season could turn. We are at the crossroads. At crossroads, cross, we are at the crossroads. So it is... Now or never, and it starts Sunday night in Atlanta, Bulls-Hawks. I am confident that this team will stick together, will get healthy. I don't think Lonzo Ball is playing this season, so it has to be within this roster. But I do think that they will find themselves alive and intact heading into post-trade deadline and their final playoff push this spring. But we want to know your thoughts. Your thoughts on the Chicago Bulls season so far. Woo! They end up just unloading everybody and trying to get that Wembenyaba lottery ticket at 14% or would they stay packed and try to make a playoff run with this quote-unquote core? Let us know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV, Couch Sports Talk. I'm on Twitter at Mike and Media, Instagram, Mike Mercado Media. Make sure you check out WCPT SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com. WCPT 820. If you missed any episode of the Sports Cubicle or any one of our awesome shows here on the radio station. Of course, we have the video version of the podcast and all the segments. Leave a comment out below at youtube.com slash Mercado Airwaves Network and wherever you get your favorite podcast at 
Mercado Airwaves. It's the marvelous one, Dan Marver. It's Devin Tingle. It's Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado. It's been one of these off-seasons in baseball that makes baseball off-season so fun. That makes the transaction lifestyle of baseball so fun. And we've seen Aaron Judge, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Jacob DeGrom, uh, Brandon Nemo, Wilson Contreras, and so many others find either new homes, new deals, staying puts. But either way, it is going to be a new look in Major League Baseball for a lot of different organizations, especially here in Chicago. You know, Jose Abreu is gone. We're going to see if the White Sox decide to move any of their assets, any of their young talents, any of their bullpen or starting pitching to try to rebuild while competing. But speaking of building and competing, we're going to focus a little bit on the north side and what the Chicago Cubs have been doing because they have made some interesting moves. They have lost some interesting players, but here we are. And I want to give credit to the Cubs insider on CubsInsider.com for this article this is the rundown Cubs signed Bellinger and Tyone Hoyer not done yet judge signs record deal with Yankees hot stove on fire so check out this article by Michael Cancer the Cubs finally struck in free agency last night adding a center fielder and a starting pitcher it's exciting news on the surface but stopping there would meet Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins would fail to meet last year's big acquisitions of Wade Miley Marcus Stroman Drew Smiley, and Seiya Suzuki. Now, stopping there for just a second, those were nice moves. I don't know if I would call them big acquisitions. I would actually say, like, Seiya was a big one. And I think Marcus Stroman, Drew Smiley, and Wade Miley were nice moves to make your pitching rotation a professional pitching rotation, right? But I wouldn't say that it was a big offseason. You know, what the Padres are doing is a big offseason. What the Yankees do, what the Phillies do are a big offseason. So I think that's just me interpreting that. But we continue on with this article. In fact, Miley and or Smiley might be a nice addition to a rotation that now includes Strowman, Justin Steele, Adrian Sampson, Kyle Hendricks, and the new acquisition, Jamison Tyone. And this is where it gets kind of fascinating if we just stick right here to the Tyone deal, which he signed a four-year, $68 million deal that was finalized just after 2 a.m. local time, a move that in this article is mentioned was bashed by some Cup fans of being overpaid. That's the going rate for pitching this year, though. And Tyone signed for a market price. And we just saw that Kadoya Kadai Senga, the Japanese phenom, is signing a, a deal with the Mets. And... You know, that's just where the market is. And we're going to stay there for a second, right? What the Cubs got in this signing, Tyone. I think now the Cubs have a bunch of two, threes, fours, and fives, right? Like they have a couple twos, they have a couple threes, and maybe a four. They're a strong rotation on paper in December of, this, of December 12, uh, 11, 2022, right? Like we could say that, but I don't think it's, you should stop there. Like, if you're able to keep bolstering your starting rotation and your bullpen, you have to do it. And if you look at how the, the Cubs are doing this, if you look at how Carter Hawkins and Jed Hoyer, you know, Hawkins coming from the, the Cleveland organization, they're, they're going to do this pitching lap. That they're going to have a bunch of studs and a bunch of reclamation projects to come in here, and they're going to try to get the best out of them. Try to flip them or have them part of the contenders. But speaking of a reclamation project, the Cubs also landed former MVP 
and Rookie of the Year, Cody Bellinger. Another roof that some rip and others praise. Bellinger will get $12.5 million with a $5 million buyout on a mutual option, giving Chicago excellent flexibility on and off the field since Bellinger can also play first base and DH. The 27-year-old is eligible for a qualifying offer, too, or he could agree to a mid-season extension. The sky is the limit with Bellinger. However, but at the very least, Hoyer paid $17.5 million to possibly add compensatory pick in 2024. And, you know, MLB Network put this out after uh, this tweet out. After six seasons with the Dodgers, Cody Bellinger is reportedly headed to Chicago to join the Cubs. 2017 NL Rookie of the Year. 2019 NL MVP. Two-time All-Star, Gold Glove winner, Silver Slugger winner, 2020 World Series champion. So you're looking at this outfield now, and let's say Bellinger is your starting center fielder for opening day at Wrigley Field in the 2023 season. Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki, and Cody Bellinger is a filthy, a nasty, a top-tier Gold Glove winning outfield on all positions. They, you all of a sudden became a defensive team. And then you start looking at what's going on on the infield, where there's a good chance this team, the way they're setting up their pitching rotation, guys that hit to contact, bad contact, but contact nonetheless, that they have to be looking to make sure that their defense is as stout as it possibly can be. Which is why I think for a lot of Cub fans, the Carlos Correa signing is such a big one or getting any one of these big shortstops that you could get your hands on and hope that they are able to elevate your defense. And I think for the Cubs, if you're not able to get a Carlos Correa, I think for a lot of people, the Dansby Swanson signing is a big one as well. Because if you're at the point where you have Nico Horner at second base, and you're able to find your shortstop, and then you're building around third and first with these young kids, and going defensively at catcher, because we see that Wilson Contreras is now gone to Houston. I think the Cubs are very much in the mode of, we want our catcher to be a defensive-minded guy, be able to control this pitching staff, help develop this pitching staff. I am so proud of Wilson Contreras, and we can talk about this now because this is kind of how it all comes together. And if they don't sign one of the top shortstops or they don't continue to bring in talent, losing a Wilson Contreras is going to hurt. But if you're able to redefine and revamp your defense, you're, you're the middle of your infield and your outfield and your pitching rotation is a stellar one, having a defensive-minded catcher is going to help this team a lot. Having a catcher that's going to be able to be a pitching manager is going to help out a lot. For the Astros, you saw them win a World Series like that. You've seen a lot of teams find the catcher that's just there for the defense, for helping out the pitching. But now the Astros found themselves a top-tier hitting catcher. I don't think the Cubs value that right now. I think that's a luxury for a lot of teams. So I'm proud that Wilson got paid. I'm proud that Wilson is going to make a lot of money with the Cardinals. It just sucks that it's the Cardinals. But if you look at what the Astros did, you look at what any of these teams do, their catcher is there to help their pitching rotation, is there to make defensive stops, is there to make sure that the ship stays steady. And Wilson did a lot of that. 
but he was a bet. And I think for a lot of people, it's more not the objectiveness of it, that this was probably the right move to make, that it was a move we know was going to be made for a long time. But seeing that 2016 Cubs team really just be dismantled and all over Major League Baseball now, making an impact in a lot of different cities and organizations in, in baseball right now. But yeah, as a Cub fan, I'm, I'm bummed. I'm sad that Wilson Contreras is gone. But if you get the right players in, if Carter Hawkins, if Jed Hoyer, if more importantly, the Ricketts family are allowing these two men to go out there and scout properly and evaluate and then sign the right guys, then it's a move that had to be made. I just don't want to hear, and this has been my frustration the whole time, is that it's about money. If you're telling me it's because of strategy, because of roster construction, okay, I'll give you the pass. I'll give you that. But if you're telling me it's because you couldn't afford Wilson Contreras or that it was too expensive, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for this organization to play poor. I don't need you to act like the Phillies or the Yankees, but you better not be acting like a a basement dweller. And luckily, they've been making some moves. Continue doing that because you sure as hell aren't lowering your beer or ticket prices at Wrigleyville in your cathedral of Wrigley Field. So we're going to be keeping up to this story as of this recording. No Carlos Correa and, and no Swanson. So we'll see if anything happens. We'll break into this segment with it and you'll hear the editing of it. But otherwise, the Chicago Cubs find themselves with two new players as they sign Jamison Tyone and Cody Bellinger waiting to see what happens now that Wilson Contreras is a St. Louis Cardinals. Where where Carlos Correa go? Aaron Judge is now a, or still, a New York Yankee after all that craziness with John Heyman of him supposedly having a deal with the San Francisco Giants. But Jacob DeGrom, a new home in Texas. Justin Verlander ends up with the Mets. Paul's going to be talking about all that. But we want to know your thoughts. Tyone Bellinger. New Chicago Cubs. Let us know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Hey, Dad, how come you've never taken us to see a soccer game? I don't know. We are through the quarterfinal round in the World Cup with the semifinals set to take place on Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon, Chicago time, 1 o'clock local time in the afternoon. First one on Tuesday is going to feature Croatia and Argentina. Wednesday is going to feature Morocco versus France. Great quarterfinal matches led us to this spot. Uh, First, you had Croatia coming from behind uh, in extra time. It was scoreless after full time between Brazil and Croatia. Neymar scores first for Brazil in extra time. Then you have Bruno Petkovic scoring for Croatia in uh, right before the end of extra time, just in the nick of time to send it to penalty kicks in which uh, Brazil struggled in penalty kicks. Croatia ends up advancing there. Argentina advancing on penalty kicks against Netherlands. So now you have the 2018 runner-ups in Croatia going up against Argentina, who were the runner-ups in 2014, and has Lionel Messi, who arguably one of the greatest players in the world, looking to win his first ever World Cup. Should be exciting regardless of who wins that match. For Wednesday's match, Morocco, the first African team ever to make it this far in the World Cup. If they win on Wednesday... They will be the first team that's not from Europe or South America to make it to the final. So a lot of people are rooting for Morocco as the underdog. They advanced over Portugal in the quarterfinal 1-0 despite obtaining a red card late. 
uh, to try and give Portugal a chance to uh, equalize the game, uh, but they were Morocco was victorious. Then you have France, the defending champions. They they won it all in 2018 over Croatia, so we have a possible rematch. But France, with an impressive showing against England, winning two to one. Uh, the odds-on favorites at this point, I think, to win the whole thing, uh, especially to get past Morocco. But I think it's this is going to be exciting nonetheless. France so far has looked like the best team in this tournament. I, I would have said Brazil if they would have been able to get past Croatia, which they almost did. But I think right now France, out of the remaining four teams, is the the best-looking team that we've seen so far. The the play of Kylian Mbappe and Oliver Giroud um, has been I- impressive nonetheless. Um, so we'll, we'll see who becomes, um, you know, who's victorious on Tuesday and Wednesday to make it into the final. Uh, the losers of both of those games will get to play in the third place playoff. Third place game is going to be on Saturday at 9 a.m. Chicago time. The final Sunday, 9 a.m. Chicago time should be very exciting. Before I wrap up the World Cup segment, though, uh, sad news to report out of Qatar. Grant Wall uh, passed away, uh, collapsed, and, and later died during the Netherlands-Argentina game on Friday. Now, Grant Wall, uh, a longtime soccer journalist, only 48 years old. Uh, you might have heard his name earlier in the World Cup. He wore a rainbow T-shirt to uh, the United States-Wales match and was uh, barred from entering uh, and, and was uh, told to take off his shirt. His phone was confiscated from him right away from the uh, uh, Qatar officials, you know, letting people in. And I think it was kind of to prove a point uh, why he did that, you know, j- just to show that, like, okay, see, they don't they don't allow this. While also standing in solidarity, um, you know, for those in the uh, LBGTQ community. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just crazy to think that Grant Wall, you know, 48 years old, looked like he was in great health. Uh, got sick in guitar, and a few days later, you know, said it took a turn for a worse because he wasn't getting a lot of sleep. He was working really hard, covering his eighth World Cup in his career, and and then he dies. And and then of course his uh, colleagues in the uh, sporting press, you know, the soccer sporting press world, having to work and continue while one of their own uh, colleagues uh, is is dying in the press box around them. And and that's incredibly such a scary situation. So. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Grant Wall, a great journalist for the United States and covering soccer from the United States. Uh, just so shocking. <gasps> Old Man Winter! <laughs> Stop! Get out, you lousy season! All right, I'm going! I forgot how winter meetings are, sometimes they're super active, and this one was one of the more exciting ones. You had, um, you know, the... the we didn't have to wait for too long to hear how much money Aaron Judge wanted it was, or was going to get, and he ended up agreeing to come back to the Yankees, which I think I had in the... We all yeah, did. Yeah, you, you had that, too. Yeah, it seemed likely, and I thought the, the tell was Rizzo coming back. I thought just... You always see those two in the dugout, so I just think maybe there's something to that, that, you know, the, there's chemistry there. And, uh, you know, Garrett Cole, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo. Those sound like Yankee names, right? Don't don't those feel like Yankee guys? Like, I, I'm not saying they should or they will win the World Series, but it feels like Yankee type of players. Those are big household name baseball players. So I, I'm excited to see what it does for 2023 and beyond. I, I couldn't tell you the 
uh, all of the parts of the deal, but I know that Aaron Judge is making some stupid money. It's like $40 million a year, basically, that he's making. If you average it out over nine years, it's... Uh, I mean, I mean, it's about what you would expect with with how free agent deals are going and a player like Aaron Judge. I think they're going to make him a captain, is what I had heard, which is a very rare designation. I don't know if I would have necessarily thought he would have deserved that over maybe some of the other guys they've had in the past and whatnot. And is he truly the captain? Is that the guy that they look to in the dugout? You know, you have guys like Anthony Rizzo in the dugout who's been kind of more or less a captain when he was in Chicago. And and here you have them in the Yankees dugout, and he's a solid veteran on that team, one of the elder statesmen. And you're telling me that Judge is just because he's the performer, is the captain of the team. So I don't I don't know. I I think it's interesting though, and I I love the move. Um, I, it would have been weird seeing him in a different uniform. I really do think Aaron Judge is a is a Yankee. True, true, all the way through. I do feel bad for the guy who got the Aaron Judge Giants jersey already customly made and paid for, but you know. <laughs> To each their own here, and you know, it's very nice with winter meetings, but in the free agency pool, it's kind of been quiet this week. Yeah, yeah. and I think well, for the White Sox, it has free agency pool. There's been some trades. Um, you know, I mean, you have uh, Jose Quintana's going to be on the Mets, which they, they needed to make a pitching move because, I mean, some old guys, when you throw Quintana into that mix too, but uh, uh, Verlander, Scherzer, you know, of course, coming back, uh, and, and Quintana now, they needed pitching. They lost Jacob deGrom, they lost Taiwan Walker, they had to get somebody. I think Quintana performed well down the stretch with the St. Louis Cardinals. So I, I like the move, but at the same time, I don't think it's going to be enough for the Mets to be great this year. I don't look at that pitching staff like I did in the last decade and say, oh, this is this is their best staff. What do you feel about the addition of Senga then as of last night? Well, okay, so there you go. I don't know much about Senga. I've, I've, I've seen some stuff, and it's like, yeah, he's great. That doesn't always transfer to the United States. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we've seen great pitchers come from overseas. So I maybe, you know, may, maybe that makes them a little stronger, but I, I don't. And it's early. I mean, we have to see how the free agent period shakes out. As we're going to spring training, what do the rotations look like potentially for the year? Then I'll have a better idea of who's the best rotation. But I don't look at the Mets right now as being that because I think Scherzer and Verlander are old. Can they go the whole season for you? You saw how. Uh, Scherzer did not look like a great pitcher in the playoff game this year. Verlander, we know how he does in the World Series, and he's he's been great. He's been solid at this point in his career, but can you rely on that? You know, a 40-something-year-old Justin Verlander and a 40-something-year-old Max Scherzer, you know. Yeah, they were teammates with the Tigers, but that was 2012. That was 10 years ago they were in the World Series together. And even then they weren't babies then either. <laughs> I'm just saying, Paul, if these guys weren't pitchers, they'd be on the White Sox right now. Let's be real here. Yeah, give it a year or two. They're pitchers. They don't go for the older pitchers. You got to go for Are the they, old outfielders. Tom Seaver, uh, Steve Carlton. Uh, I feel that era is done. They're going uh, for the D- old. Dave, David Wells. Uh, We're moving on to the designated hitters because no, we need more no, of those. I think we should circle back to this. I think we should talk about all of the over-the-hill pitchers that the White Sox Other than could James pitch, Shields. Could I can't think. Oh, uh, uh, we're, we're, oh, in the free agency pool right now. Was uh, Oh, yeah, right now. It doesn't say, but like Jake Peavy, like, I, I mean, he was he was still a little younger. But yeah, but no, I'm right now. Um, Rich Hill will be signed then. <laughs> like right now, right now, right now. He's what, okay, 46, yeah. 47? Like 43, 44, I think, yeah. Yeah, he would be one. 
I mean, I'd be happy they're making moves at least. At this point, I think getting a lefty with a high arcing curveball might not be the worst move for them. But at the same time, I think Rich Hill's days of uh, his best days are behind him. So I, I, I don't know. He's eating out of Hall of Famer stats. We can't even justify the signing. <laughs> right? Here. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to put him. Yeah. So yeah, scratch that. That doesn't count. We can't pull Bartolo Colon out of retirement, can we? No, but I would love to see Bartolo back. If he is his third or his fourth stint in a White Sox uniform. I think third. Yeah. I know it would be at least three. Oh, we're getting way off topic here. Yeah, let's go back to this whole thing here. Kenley Jansen is going to be on the Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I don't know if he's as much of a, um, you know, lights-out closer as he was a few seasons ago. or even Even with him, he's a guy that's been around for a long time. Um, but that's a big move. I think it, you know the Red Sox needed it. They've needed a closer for years now. So it's uh, since you know Kimbrel left that team, he's been there's been an opening there for the ninth inning. So maybe that'll solve that problem. Uh, Wilson Contreras. I know Mercado kind of uh, uh, addressing sort of that stuff. But uh, as the as the resident Cubs fan, but Wilson Contreras going to the Cardinals, and I think we that's both just, called that. Yeah, well, it was the writing was on the wall that the Cardinals needed a catcher. They had the money. And and it seemed like the Cubs, you know, didn't care as long as he chased the money. And, and it's it's weird because I think it hurts them in the in the Cubs in the sense that uh, they don't get any assets for him. So they just let a valuable player that they developed just go, an all star player that they developed just go. Um, I would have thrown a contract at him, and and who's to say they didn't? I'm sure there's been reports that they had. But I think that's a guy you do build around, but that was something that I think two or three years ago you would have made that final call on. And, and it's weird that the Cubs just kind of let go. You know, they yeah, they traded the Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, you know. Yeah, but this year, nothing for him. Nothing made for Made no him. sense. We all thought a trade deadline he was going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the way the fans were, the fans were processing that already. They were giving him a standing ovation at his last at bat at Wrigley a week before the trade deadline. So, yeah, I mean, so I don't know if there was nothing on the table. No team really needed him. There weren't the proper assets coming back, but at the same time, the difference would be is you would have those prospects or those players right now, presumably, versus nothing. And I guess you get the qualifying offer that they gave him, so the way they view it is instead of a prospect, they go for the draft pick. That's one way to look at it, but I don't know if the Cubs are in a position right now with their farm system and what they've got to just start depending on draft picks when you're letting franchise caliber players just go like that. And they're not far off. You're seeing by the moves that they are making, they're not terribly far off from being a, a contending team in a weak division. And that's exactly what the Ricketts said they're planning on doing here, going after some big names here. So Carlos Correa has been tied to them, and, and that's before the season started. That's why I was, I was telling Mercado that he was saying uh, if if Aaron Judge went to the Cubs, you know, he would win the bet. And if and I was saying if Correa went to the Cubs, I would win the bet. Well, right now, Mercado lost. Yeah, he lost already, and I knew that. We both, you know, saw that that was coming. That the uh, Judge was going to the Yankees, but I think with Contreras or not Contreras, Car- uh, Carlos Correa, it, it it's a need for the Cubs. He's young, plays shortstop. I know they're saying, well, what about Horner? He can move to second base. You don't really you move Horner. You build around Correa. You don't build around Horner. And to couple that with, you know, the moves that they have made, like I like the Cody Bellinger rebuild project because defensively he's still solid and you've got Hap, Bellinger, Suzuki out in the outfield. I mean, we'll see what they end up doing, you know, catcher-wise and, and, and other, other you know, sections um, of the club. 
pitching wise, I like the Jamison Tyone, but I still think you know they're they're they don't have an ace. They don't have a true ace. But these are the types of times where sometimes you see guys really kind of come up and prove it. Uh, you know, there's a good chance for Stroman to step up and be, you know, who they thought he was going to be when he came up with the Blue Jays. It, it's a good chance for uh, Hendricks to see if he has anything left in the tank as, as an ace, you know, if that's truly who, who you know, the ace is. But, you know, I, I do like the way that the Cubs look with some of the signings and, like, kind of their slow and steady pace. But I think they've got to step on the gas pedal now and get Carlos Correa or if not, go after Dansby Swanson. I think that's another great, like, of of the brand of what the, the moves they've been making. And I think Swanson would end up being one of the better players out of who, who they've gotten over the last couple of seasons. I saw a very nice post uh, from the MLB's Facebook account where they talked about the top three free agents left in each position. And for shortstop, we got Correa, Swanson, and at number three is Elvis Andrews, Paul Lacious. Elvis Andrews. I, I, at shortstop, though, I mean... The White Sox don't have a need at shortstop right now. We need someone who isn't Laurie Garcia at second. True. And Andrews likes or, the team. Or Josh Harrison. Or well, Harrison's it, gone. Is he? Did, did he sign with someone? No, but they're okay. not going to sign him back. Uh, well, we forgot some of the other big moves. Xander Sorry. Bogarts going to the, the Padres. That was a huge one. Yes. Uh, the, the Sox were never in on any of these names that we've said. And any of the ones that are left, it's, you know, they're going to have to make a trade for a second baseman. I think if they're going to really have a, a good solution to that. Otherwise, you'd have to get creative with uh, Jake Berger at third, Yohan Moncada goes back to second. Uh, Garcia and Moncada for anything. Yeah, I you know that's two switch hitters, so you're never going to have them platoon, and you're never going to be able to move them, which you should be able to, based on the money that you gave Leori Garcia. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think Moncada has to kind of prove that he still has something. It's gonna be a mess of a team. Uh, we'll we'll see uh, what what they end up looking like in 2023. If they're gonna be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline, if they truly have enough. I mean, another team that contend in a weak division with what they've got. But we we're all foolish to think that based on how it worked out last season that they're anywhere better. They've they've lost Jose Abreu. They haven't added anything. Mike Clevenger that doesn't really solve a problem. You lose Johnny Cueto. You add Mike Clevenger. That doesn't really solve that problem. So I don't know how they project to be better. You know, like like I don't know if they're thinking that because of the old rules. You know, the the way everything's kind of changing this year with any what pitch clocks and and uh, uh, you know shifting and things like that, or if you know if it's something where. You know, they're uh, just cheap and don't want to commit to bad deals and don't want to uh, really put themselves in a position where they have to commit to this for more than a season or two because they could really break this apart very quickly in the next couple of years. This is not a team that needs to rebuild, but if they're not going to make any moves, then what the hell's the point? I don't know. I, I guess... Aren't you glad it's not like a Melky Cabrera, Jeff Samarja situation? But but yeah. but eventually, I feel like we're getting that. We're gonna get that soon. You know, it's only December. We have yet to have Christmas, and January could be some of the last, the last bigger dominoes. You know, Michael Conforto, I think, is still out there. Brandon Nimmo signed a long term deal, so he's off the board. But I think Michael Conforto might still be there, if I'm not mistaken. And they were interested in him. I could see that being a move. Uh, I I could see another another outfielder being being there, 
you know, they'll probably try and ride with Jimenez and Robert, but they need somebody else. Obviously, they don't have Pollock. So, so you know, someone, someone in that, that regard, I think, is still out there. I don't think they're going to go anywhere else with starting pitching. I think they're, they're throwing out the guys that they think that they, they have right now. Um, you know, after that, bullpen, you know, they have a lot of the same guys coming back. I don't know if they'll make any, you know, moves there. So really, it's at this point, you know, the rumor is uh, Liam Hendricks being shopped around. And if I think you can get a second baseman out of that, maybe you consider that. But at the same time, now you don't have a closer. Do you, you know, it goes by Kendall Graveman and what, Aaron Bummer? Uh, Joe Kelly. Kelly? There we go. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, like, but how could, how could you say that without laughing? You know, that, okay, we've, we've improved our situation. I'd almost roll out the bad second baseman then get rid of the best closer that we have, you know, the best one in the league right now. Exactly. It's just, it's just, we, you know, the same thing like when they're like talking about trading Dylan Cease during the trade deadline last year for a bigger player. It's like, Ooh. what the hell is this team doing here? It's like, Jerry, sell the team or step down. You have Jardinier for brains, okay? I, I would like to see one big major move. And I've always said that sometimes, you know, the good teams make moves that, you wonder, wow, I didn't think they were sellers, but it's like, no, they were they were smart. They repositioned themselves and got some assets that they needed. You know, they traded a big name player for smaller players when they're a great team, you know, things like that. And I think that's where you gotta look at maybe a guy like Tim Anderson. Probably has a lot of value right now on the trade market, considering how little they, they signed him to a great deal early. And it's coming up soon. And I don't think they'll be able to afford him in free agency. So why not move on him now? And then you can sign your Elvis Andrews, you know, to shortstop. Or get, you know, re, you know, get a Dansby Swanson or something, you know, if they're even in on a guy like that. But you can get someone that's maybe a little bit more suitable to the defensive side of the position. And maybe you can bring in other assets where you get your second baseman, which seems to be a harder position to fill in this league, and now one that has to have a lot of range for not being able to um, shift the way that you used to be able to do, you know, or go get your left-handed hitting outfielder, or which I, mean, I guess with Gavin Sheets is what they're going to roll out. Maybe you trade Gavin Sheets for some pitching. Maybe you, you know, I, I don't know. I just think there's there's assets there to reposition the team into a better club going forward. I don't quite get what they're trying to do, but at the same time, with the coaching staff. I like this team better than how last year's team, you know, it's already a step in the right direction with the, the managerial hire, but it's, it's you know, you're a Jose Abreu-less team, you know, competing that was 500 last year, and Abreu's been top three in several categories for your team for the last decade. So who are you replacing him with? Who are you expecting him to? Is Andrew Vaughn going to be leading the team in hits and average and home runs and, Maybe RBI. it is a great position, perhaps. I don't know. I'll just, we'll close it out with this one, Paul. The White Sox are going to make this trade. It's going to be Giolito, Dylan Cease, oh. Lance Lynn, Eloy Jimenez, and Luis Roberts for Shohei Otani's third base coach from middle school. <laughs> Maybe. To try and get Shohei to sign him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be Manchado. Uh, Manny Machado. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I almost said Mercado. 
Didn't they hire Machado's like cafeteria like like lady or something? They brought all his friends in. It was pretty. That's the whole big reason we got Mazzara and so many other garbage. Goodness gracious! Uh, all right, that's gonna do it for the Sports Cubicle. You can give us your thoughts on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. For Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, Dan Marver, I'm Paul Shavari. Uh, that's it. That's the Sports Cubicle on WCPT 820, where facts matter. Santita starts your week at 6 a.m. in the morning. Brittany Griner's free, everyone. 